Welcome back to the Life Support Podcast. Thanks for listening. We have our guest, Rachel Mayer. She reminded me like John Mayer, no relation though, here to talk to us about social media and mental health. Before we get started, just a quick reminder to hit that subscribe button and maybe on topic for today, like us on, is it the Facebook, the Gram, the TikTok and whatever else those kids are using today. Um, But just please follow us and uh, subscribe when you can. With that, let's go ahead and get started. So, Rachel, can you introduce yourself and that's your name, where you're from, what you like to do when you're not working, what you do when you are working? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everyone. My name is Rachel Mayer, and I'm I'm kind of from all over. My dad was in the Navy, so growing up, I moved around a lot. But I've been living here in Idaho on and off for the last 15 years. I call this home. Currently here in Boise, and I love it. And when I'm not working... I really enjoy taking walks outside. I've been trying to like commit to taking a walk every single day in the morning, like regardless of how cold it is. So I've been wearing lots of layers here in the Idaho winter. Um, I also really enjoy knitting. And I finally, I just finished my very first sweater. It's like not like a great fit, but it does exist and I made it. So it definitely That's great. Counts. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Um, when I am working, I do uh, a lot of social media work. So I actually do the social social media for Sihu and all of our different clients, as well as like thinking of different social strategies and, you know, safe social media tips uh, for everyone. Awesome. I thought you were going to say, and I'm wearing that sweater now. And I was going to be like, oh, no, we're going to lose Rachel because she's going to start professionally making sweaters. Um, yeah, no. Well, on on topic with um, your current area focus, uh, for those who haven't been reading their social media news or maybe it mysteriously disappeared from their news feed, in the last month or two, um, we've seen a lot of coverage around the Seattle School District lawsuit against uh, TikTok and Meta. Can you give us a quick overview of that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad you asked this question because I think it's going to set us up really nicely for the rest of our conversation and also to give us kind of some background on these platforms. So the suit names Meta, which is comprised of Instagram and Facebook. It also includes Google, Snapchat and ByteDance, which is the company behind TikTok. And the complaint alleges that the school district and its students have been harmed Uh, by social media's negative effects on youth mental health. And these companies designed their platforms intentionally to grow users um, and grow their user base, you know, using methods known both in psychology and neurophysiology to really get users to go on their platforms and then stay on their platforms. So essentially, the lawsuit is alleging that social media companies are prioritizing profit over the mental health and safety of its users. Um, And they're maximizing that profit through um, advertising um, specifically. And the suit is, you know, drawing these connections between high social media usage of young folks and then also this increased increased prevalence of stress and anxiety in that same population. And, you know, the argument on the other side is that these companies are just using, um, you know, product marketing where they're crafting messages to promote a product that fulfills a need. And, you know, some marketing professionals in, you know, the marketing world, they even use the term addiction around product marketing that you want to addict your customers and do really everything in your power 
um, to do so in order to maximize that profit and demand for your product. And I find that really problematic for a number of reasons. But even just looking at it and, you know, with a black and white lens, um, we do, in fact, limit addicting, um, you know, products and situations. Uh, We have age limits on tobacco, casinos, alcohol. Um, I do not think that banning social media um, for all children, youth and teens is the right answer. In fact, I think it's actually a really bad idea. But I think that we're doing a real disservice to our communities and the current and future generations to treat social media um, like we would anything else, um, because it's not like anything else. These platforms are a culmination of community. They also, you know, they function as learning platforms, a means of communication, hubs for creativity, and then a place for us all to gather even more far apart, which I think a lot of us found to be really comforting, especially during the height of the pandemic. So I don't know that limiting social media is really the long-term answer, but something that I do think could be helpful um, is a review of our data privacy laws. So currently in the United States Congress, legislation has been introduced that would prohibit anyone from downloading TikTok on U.S. devices. So TikTok is owned by a Chinese company, ByteDance, and there have been all of these international concerns really about the platform's data collection practices and then also the possibility of ByteDance sharing that information with the Chinese government. And to be clear, all social media platforms gather and collect this data. The difference is because TikTok is owned by a Chinese company, it's subject to Chinese national security, which then in turn demands that all data be shared, whereas in U.S. companies like Facebook and Instagram, companies are not um, mandated to turn over that information without a warrant and subpoena. And the reason they bring this up is that if we were really truly concerned about privacy and who can access information about us, we passed data privacy laws to kind of limit the degree to which these companies, including TikTok, can harvest, collect, and then use and store our data. So for example, the European Union has a very different approach to data privacy. Um, In fact, actually in their charter, they uh, include data protection as a fundamental right. Um, to all citizens. And so as such, they have really strict rules governing that data. And here in the U.S., we take a very hands-off approach that favors all of the companies that collect that data um, and use it. And so that means that these companies can really target us based on our actions we take on our phones. So I'm sure many listeners have noticed that they might Google something on their browser and, you know, on their phone and then switch over to the Instagram app and all of a sudden they're getting ads um, for something that they searched on their browser, something similar to those products they searched for. In the way that this really circles all the way back to Seattle Public School lawsuit is that there are currently no rules governing the collection of data from you. And this means that we're even more susceptible to all of those addicting properties of social media because everything they do on their phone is really used against them. So while data protection laws wouldn't solve everything, they would at least limit some of the content that's being seen. And, you know, the good news is is that data privacy laws are being considered for you. So a law in California was uh, just signed that will take effect in 2024 that will significantly limit any business online that that is accessed by anyone under the age of 18. Um, We still need widespread change to our data laws. Um, And I would argue we really shouldn't limit these laws to children and youth, but they should apply to everyone, including adults, um, because we ourselves are really not immune from these issues. Yeah, it's so interesting, Rachel. Like, there's that fine line of the addiction and product marketing and psychology, right? Uh, You learn about when you're at school, right? But then 
you brought in a great point about privacy. Um, and I think even, you know, there's, oh, we have a privacy section on this social media tool, but nobody really understands it, right? Um, like, what am I clicking if I click this box as a no or a yes? Um, so I, I do think there needs to be a lot more education. So I agree completely with you and uh, the privacy laws that are needed. Um, but kind of pivoting a little bit, um, you know, as someone who is in social media, but talking about mental health every day with Sihu, um, what's your take on mental health and, and social media? You know, I, I love social media. I think that the way it can connect us is amazing, um, which is a great thing that I love social media, right, since I do it for work. <laughs> but, um, you know, we as humans, we are social creatures. So even if you are an introvert, um, you know, some social action is really beneficial for your health. And we've seen that that interaction can ease stress and anxiety, um, depression. It can boost your self-worth, provide comfort and joy, you know, prevent loneliness. It's incredibly important for us to build those really strong relationships with others. And I think where we can go wrong is if we only seek out those relationships online. And that's not to minimize right. those online relationships. Yeah. You know, they can be incredibly powerful and very real and beneficial. I think especially when we're younger, you know, it can feel like no one understands what we're going through. And maybe we live in a really small place. And that's actually true of our immediate environment um, and our, our surroundings. But because we have social media and online platforms, we can build a community of folks that we can relate to. Um, that we share that information and advice and even just vent to each other. And we have that commonality that's bringing us together that maybe we can't find in our physical social interactions. So social media is powerful, but it should be used to subsidize, not replace the relationships we have in our life. And I think we really need to have really excellent boundaries with social media. So in, in remembering that those boundaries, that's is a constant practice and not every day you're, you're not going to be perfect at it every day. Yep. So if that means you limit the amount of time you're on social media by setting a timer, that's great. I actually do that with TikTok. When I go on TikTok, I set a 15-minute timer. No it's a hole. It's doing. a rabbit hole when you get it's, on TikTok. It is such a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> it's really easy yeah. to just like, to yeah. just keep scrolling. Um, and you all of a sudden, the hours pass by and you're like, what happened? Yeah. Um, so I really like timers, um, but maybe also, you know, like you're on social media and you see something that um, that is like not making you feel good or, you know, is upsetting you in some way. Like maybe you take some phone free time and you go on a walk, you know, like kind of just like let that tension leave your body. Um, but I think like making sure that we build in those moments to our social media practice of like recovering from social media. Um, and I think, too, <clears throat> there are these kind of warning signs that we need to, you know, maybe just keep in the back of our mind, keep an eye out for. So, you know, number one, if we're feeling that we have like increased anxiety, depression, loneliness, um, number two, that we're spending more time on social media than we are, you know, with our friends and family and that, you know, those relationships are suffering. Number three, that we're like constantly comparing ourselves to others and like, feeling like we're missing out. That's a huge one on social media. Um, number four, if you are feeling bullied um, or don't like the way people are treating you online, like it's time for you to remove yourself from that space. Um, you know, five, if you're engaging in, you know, risky behavior for likes and comments and shares, you see that a lot um, with content that I see um, out there. You know, number six, 
uh, you're prioritizing social media over self-care, like exercise, sleep, and mindfulness. So if you feel like really you can relate to any of these things, which to be fair, I, I can relate to some of those things, you really need to start setting some boundaries and start practicing better social media habits. I mean, I love the fact that you've set boundaries because we set up boundaries for people as well. So there's no yes. reason why we can't mm-hmm. do it for technology and social media. Um, it's funny. Our our tech person, Gen C, is like, OK, here's the technology <laughs> piece of this. And then, I, you know, I, I think about it from like the youth mental health perspective of um, all the things that you're listing, Rachel. I'm like, yeah, those are great things to do. They're also really hard for um competent, um, self-actualizing, supported adults to do. Um, and so thinking yes. about how to translate that for youth and for, for kids that are really navigating that, um, I, that's, um, I think that it's all really good advice and stuff to follow, but it makes me think about like, okay, there, there need to be those guardrails per, for, for youth because it's hard enough for adults. That's really powerful, right? That this is just as hard um, for adults as it is for youth. And like, and we have this commonality with people who are much younger than us that are also experiencing those things. And I think that like, why don't we come together and partner on this, right? Why don't we have these conversations about it? Because I think that that's really powerful too. Is like, it's being like, actually, I can relate to you because I <laughs> like mysteriously spent an hour and a half on TikTok yesterday and like didn't make dinner, you know? <laughs> um, so there are all of these things that I think we have yeah. in common um, that yeah. we're all experiencing. But in my thing, um, when you, and I guess this goes to my next question, uh, how much can people control and what they're seeing and how it impacts them. But like, I remember before COVID and I think we've gotten worse with social media after, you know, because of COVID and all that. But I remember people used to turn off. They're like, I'm taking a break from social media. And then they turn off all of their logins. I haven't seen a lot of people do that lately um, as much as I used to. Um, so yeah, how much can people control what they're seeing and, you know, so that way it doesn't impact them as much. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, Jen, like to your point, like I also haven't seen a lot of people just be like, hey, I'm taking a break from social media. And I think that it's become so integrated in our lives. It's really hard to like go cold turkey on something that you rely on every single day that you use almost ritualistically. Um, so I think that that's where those boundaries and like communication and education really comes into play um, because we actually... We do have a lot of power when we're using social media, Um, you know, but you do have to have the right mindset in order to kind of harness or channel that power. So oftentimes um, we go on social media when we want to decompress and we end up just kind of mindlessly scrolling. And this is where we can get into dangerous territory. We've got to be thinking critically um, about what we're seeing online because the platforms, right, they're monitoring really our every move. So, you know, for example, if a video comes up of like two people fighting um, on your feed and you you don't even have to like it or comment on it or share it. But if you pause in any way, um, you know, that algorithm is going to show you more content like that because it noticed that you paused. So it's important to engage with content that resonates with you and your values. And this means, right, that we don't follow people who make us feel poorly and that we actively engage with that content that improves our quality of life. 
So for example, my my TikTok feed is mostly comprised of like comedians, recipe developers, and like unlikely animal friendships. I follow like a lot of farms, <laughs> a lot of farms on TikTok. Nice. Um, and it makes me really happy to see that type of content. Right. But every once in a while, even though like I very carefully curated my social media, I'll start to go down, you know, like this rabbit hole where multiple videos in a row aren't really things that I want to see necessarily. And I'm like, how did I end up on this side of TikTok, right. uh, this dark side of TikTok? And and in that moment, I think it's important to recognize it instead of just continuing to scroll um, and like, right, like go to that search bar and type in something that you do want to see um, and almost kind of like reset that algorithm in a way. And then really, you're more of an active participant instead of just, you know, passively consuming content. I think that these are great recommendations for adults and probably for kids and minors, too. Um, but I think that they probably need some help. What what control do kids and minors have and what can their parents or their caregivers do to help support them with that healthy relationship with social media? I was a youth many years ago. Um, but I think that, you know, one thing that is intergenerational is like disobedience. Um, you know, we, I, you know, I really wouldn't recommend like banning social media or even trash talking it in front of like a minor um, that has an investment in it or enjoys those social platforms. Because if you do that, I think that they're a lot less likely to speak to you about what they're consuming online. And, you know, and that's that's a pretty precarious place to be in as someone who cares about someone else. So I think that this is really where education and open communication play major roles. So if a young person who matters to you is on these platforms, you should take time to educate yourself on what they like and what they're seeing. And this could be a conversation and just asking to see what they're interested in, not as like an oversight sort of role, but just like, hey, can you show me more about TikTok or can you show me more about Instagram? And like, let that be a moment where they can really teach you. Um, and they might actually really enjoy sharing that part of their life with you. And then like you also kind of get some insight on like what is luring them into those spaces. And I think hand in hand with this, it's super important to remember that not everything we see online is true. And adults are just as guilty of this as youth are. Um, you know, so if you see someone make a statement that doesn't sound like an, you know, that doesn't sound like an opinion, but rather a fact, you know, you maybe find some other sources. Um, and do some minor research on the creators that you're consuming content from. So what gives them the authority to speak on the subject? And, you know, they don't need a fancy degree. They don't need a certification. I think the really cool thing about social media is that we can create content based off of our own lived experiences. And that's really powerful. And it really levels that playing field. But I don't think we need, should, you know, mindlessly accept everything that we hear and see. And have those conversations with teens and young adults so that they're also, you know, critically thinking about those things. A few questions I like to ask myself and like to ask other people when we're talking about social media um, or when I see something provocative or interesting, you know, what, like, how does the person know this? You know, what would my, would my perspective be different? Maybe if I were on the other side of this opinion, um, why are they posting this and why does it matter? And then, you know, I think also in terms of like safety concerns about social media, it's really important to like let young people know that they should not share identifying information online um, with people that they haven't met in real life. 
So you never give out your address, your email, or your, you know, your phone number. And adults should never be asking you for help, should never ask you to keep a secret from your parents. Um, and if you're in communication with someone online, that you know, it seems weird. You should trust your gut and get a second opinion from an adult you trust. And, you know, I think in terms of like, you know, the nitty gritty tech side of like your phone tracking you, you can turn on geolocation um, services so that the app can, um, it's not going to tag your physical location when you post, but those instructions really differ depending on whether or not you're using, um, you know, an Android or an Apple device. So I'd recommend just kind of Googling that um, for those step-by-step instructions. You should also check the permissions on your apps to make sure that your content is as private or as public as you would like it to be. And that also differs per platform, and it is constantly changing um, as those platforms update. So, you know, giving that a Google is also a really great idea, too. Um, You know, one thing to note with that, though, is that some apps reset all of their privacy preferences when they update. So if you have automatic updates turned on, you might not realize that that has happened. And all that work you did to set your privacy settings could have been flipped back. So if you're really concerned about privacy and data collection, you know, I'd recommend you give those preferences like a glance every once in a while. And this is just like another way to illustrate like why we need better data protection privacy laws. Um, you know, there there are third-party apps too that um, are social media blockers or filters that you can use on social media platforms, but I haven't, I haven't used those. So I can't really speak to their efficacy. But I think it's a good thing to remember that the platforms themselves are, you know, have a 13 plus age restriction on them. Um, But just because they say it's fine doesn't mean that youth won't see something on social media that they're not ready for. And so I think that really circles back, you know, like there's kind of like always these ways to circumvent restrictions that we put on things. And sometimes by restricting them, we make them even more appealing, unfortunately. So I think it's like right knowing the students or the youth that you're interacting with and kind of like what their personality is and and like what might work for them. But also to make sure that you have that open dialogue with the kids in your life to make sure that if they see something that they don't understand or they're upset over or even something that they really like, right, that they're sharing that information with you so that you can tackle those issues together. I um, already am hatching a plan for Rachel M. to <laughs> come talk to my son and daughter when when the time comes for them yeah. to learn access. <laughs> yeah, that, this is really good. This is good. <laughs> Oh, God, I'm glad it's helpful. <laughs> no, I, it's, that's a scary conversation, Rachel B. I totally it get it. Um, it can be nerve-wracking, I think, for parents because, you know, some kids, you tell them no, and they're like, oh, really? <laughs> they're just going to go and do yeah. it. So it's just like, oh, no, how do you have that? Like, ah, no big deal, but don't do this. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's dude, those are great suggestions, Rachel. Thanks so much. Um how can social media be used to improve our mental health? Can it? Yeah. Oh, I love, I really love this question. Um, and to answer it, I'm actually going to quote Lizzo. Um, I think it was like last, last night or maybe. Love it. Love it. Yeah. That was the best. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. I think it was like last night or maybe the night before that she accepted her Grammy. And yep. she dedicated it to Prince. And she said she committed to only making positive music after he passed. So I think we should all be a little bit more like Lizzo and choose positivity and kindness when we're using social media. 
And that doesn't mean that we don't talk about hard things um, and that we don't engage in content that is challenging. Um, but rather, when we consume those things, we find the positive in it. And that could mean that we're experiencing growth or a different perspective and have maybe, you know, shifted our outlook. But I think it's important to remember that we might not be able to change policy or the world in a single day, but we can control our reactions to the world that we live in. And oftentimes, mindset is really a crucial tool to that. So when we're on social media, right, we go back to those things that we know that we really enjoy, the content that supports us and lifts us up, and it, you know, isn't making us feel negative about ourselves, and really curating our social media so that it works for us instead of against us. I love that. Yeah. And when she said that, I was like, that, I mean, if everyone yeah. would practice that, right, we, the world would be a yes. better place. So it's, it was, it's great. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I, I can't think of a better way to end than with Lizzo. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I know. I wish we can get yeah. copyrights right at the end so we can play her yeah. music. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. I would say the next best thing is us singing Lizzo, but I I would be involved in that, oh. which means that would not be a good no, thing. You don't want me um, to sing. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. well, I guess um, that's where we can end life support listeners is with the promise that we will not sing, at least on this podcast. Um, but we, <laughs> we so appreciate our time um, with Rachel Mayer and uh, just the conversation around how we can intentionally use social media um, as adults and then also how we can be good stewards and gatekeepers for um, the younger folks in our lives. So thank you so much, Rachel, for taking the time to chat with us. Um, again, thanks all for listening. Uh, be sure to catch a new episode every other Thursday and subscribe, like, follow on whatever your preferred social media is. Um, Rachel is putting it out there. Um, so would love for you to support us and follow us. Uh, Life Support is a podcast developed by CWHO with the support of the ISOS grant, where we talk to providers, experts, and others about their experiences with health and the systems that create it. This podcast music is written and performed by Anthony Leon. The show is also produced by Anthony. For more information, visit us on the web at CWHO.org, and remember to follow us on your favorite podcast app. Thanks, everybody.